Welcome to the Bible Talks. You've hey, been waiting, and it's here. Yeah, welcome to this episode. Happy day. This is pretty exciting because today we're going to be talking about baptism and communion. What? Yeah, man, this is yeah. going to be pretty good. So if you like theology and you like to keep it down on the bottom shelf where the kitties can get it, <laughs> that's your <laughs> sweet spot. That's your sweet spot. This is the show for you. We're Josh and Heather Tice. We minister to and lead Southern Hills Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. We love each other, love theology, and love to talk. So you can find this podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, or listen to us on KVXL 101.1 Experience Liberty Radio. We always like to begin with a little fun. So, Heather, let's get started. Here we go. So today is a day for revealing secrets. Bum, bum, bum. Are you ready to do this? Uh, yeah, I'm ready to go. Are you talking about the Christian rituals of baptism and communion? Or? Not those secrets. Oh, the fun part. Yeah. Well, I mean, baptism and communion, that's fun. Good times. Absolutely. But this is something that I want you to be honest with and share with our listeners. Okay, I'm, I'm ready. Go first. Go. And I don't know, I'm embarrassed to share it, and I don't know how many people have ever heard this story, but today you're going to share something that you messed up mm. and nobody ever found out it was you. Okay. And I'm very ashamed of mine. Okay. I broke. I did not know you were going to ask this question. First thing that comes to mind, my mother used to have these um, burning wick lamps that she really liked. It had like red oil in the bottom. It was glass. Oh, I know what you're talking about. And and the wick would come up and then the top of it uh, was like a glass thing that you put over. You know, you'd light it and then put the glass thing over. And she loved those because they were kind of, you know, her style, which is like old-fashioned and more like um like uh, country cabin country cabiny but also like it's more contemporary that <clears throat> and we were playing ball in the house and something happened i broke it i broke them and i'm pretty sure we tried to patch it together and put it up and then twist it in a way that wasn't seen yeah and uh, she found out and i never admitted it Who until now we? i don't know me and the children i i don't want to rat was out it? the other mm-hmm. ones oh, okay But see, they knew that you broke it, but you were part of it. Yes. How did she, she had to know y'all broke it though. I don't think so. I don't think so. This is my confessional. And here's the thing. I'm betting that she doesn't listen to this episode. That's what I'm going to guess. And if she doesn't listen to this episode, guess what? She'll never find out. (laughs) See, there are all kinds of reasons that you should listen to the Bible talks. That's right. You might be able to find uh, out that your children did something. Yeah, you might find out the secrets. Okay. I am so ashamed of mine. Mine happened. Wait, do I I already know about this? I think you do. I know about all your sins. You may be, you and only one other person, my friend Amelia in high school, know about this, I think. Amelia. Yeah. So I don't know what possessed me to do this, and it was crazy out how we even thought of it. And I've seen it done since then. I'm like, oh, this is a thing teenagers do. So I was a good kid for the most part, but we were on a ball trip for our Christian school. We were cheerleaders. And we went in the bathroom, and again, I don't know what possessed us, but we somehow figured out that if we soaked a paper towel and threw it up on the ceiling, it would stick. Oh, that's messed up. And so we got carried away and then did a bunch of them. (laughs) And so, and I don't remember the restaurant. I don't remember, it was in the state of Alabama, I'm sure, but I don't remember the restaurant or anything else about it, except that I look back on that and think, what in the world? And some, some poor you know, employee had to go in there and clean that up eventually. Isn't that awful? And how, what a mess to clean up. 
So like, let me get I this straight. I don't know how well it come off. And I'm so ashamed. Of course, nobody ever knew we did that. Our secret wow. sin. And is, so, I'm ashamed. So let me get this straight. The big secret sin of your life is that as a teenager, you threw wet paper towels at a ceiling. The one that I'm willing to share. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's just leave it yeah. at that. Um, well, yeah, look, I want you to know that as a minister of God, um, I, I thus forgive thee um, and I uh, atone for your... Well, wait, we're not, we're not Catholic. No. I can't do that. No. Oh, well, but then, you know what we can do because we're Baptist. You can get baptized. We can baptize Yeah, that's people. true. So for the washing away of sins, we will baptize you. No, that's not what baptism is. Wait, then what is baptism? It is an outward duty. Oh, wait, I'm reading. <laughs> we teach it. He's laughing because I teach this lesson at our church in the membership every class. Every month. Every month. And all of a sudden I forgot. I was I was distracted by a the paper. Notes. Like a, we could throw away was, the notes. I could throw away the notes. What we say, and I love this. I think you coined this. And if you didn't coin it, don't tell me that because I tell everybody in class you coined it. And I of think it's course great. I Help me understand baptism. I'm the first Baptist who ever said this. It is an outward expression of... Of an inward decision. And That's if, what baptism is. And if anybody emails my wife and tells them <laughs> that I did not come up with them. that phrase. Are there are more of us? Oh, dear. Well, that's my secret. That's your <laughs> 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 no one's ever found out. Oh, now I'm always it. traveling to Utah? Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Well. Okay, so so baptism. I can't get past that. <laughs> it's not true. This is over. Okay, look, I'm not a polygamist. The final Can bi- we move on? Bible talks. I'm done. I'm leaving. That's not true. This is episode 62, and we already recorded several more episodes that are coming out. So those will have to go. Well, I'll leave after those. Okay, no, here we go. Okay, so we're talking about not just baptism, but the two ordinances of the church today. Now, what I was trying to say before is an ordinance is an outward duty that is prescribed by Christ to be performed by his church. Now, that's what's interesting about baptism and, and the Lord's Supper or communion is that True Christianity, historic Christianity, does not have a lot of rituals, but we do have some. Um, throughout Christian history, there have been many branches of Christian history that have tried to add on all sorts of rituals. But the reality is there are only two that were ordained by Christ. That's why we don't call them sacraments. We don't earn the grace of God because of these. We call them ordinances because Christ ordained these for his followers. And both of them are very symbolic— both of them speak of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and both of them are only to be done by true believers. Baptism and communion. And they're to be done once a month. Right. Exactly. And if you don't do them once a month, then what happens, Heather? Then you are unordained. No, I don't think that's it. Oh, wait. you didn't do the ordinances the way you're supposed to. That's not true. It's not in the Just Bible. Just kidding. None of that's in the Bible. Yeah, the so Bible doesn't tell us how often to practice these things. And that's one of the things that churches can get hung up on. New believers or people that have come from other churches will ask about. Um, and we say, you know what? The Bible just says do it often and do it in remembrance. So we try to do it often enough, we say, to practice it. Communion, says, not baptism. Yeah, communion. But <laughs> not to do it so often that it becomes, you know, not special or ritualistic. All right, so let's go ahead and begin with the first ordinance of the church, uh, the first, you know, ritual that the church has passed down for 2,000 years, we call it baptism. Okay, so why should we be baptized? Well, we say there's obedience, symbolism, and identification. Obedience, simply because Christ told us to. He commands us throughout the scriptures to be baptized. In fact, in Matthew 28, 19, what we call the Great Commission, he says, Go, therefore, teach all nations, and then baptize them 
in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. So um, we want to be obedient to Christ. So this is the first step of obedience for the believer. So it's a big deal um, to follow God in this way. It's the first first step you take. Right, after salvation. It's not just an act of obedience. It's also an act of symbolism. It symbolizes the fact that we now belong to Christ. We always mm-hmm. say that it's like an, a wedding ring. Mm-hmm. Um, it is an outward expression of an inward decision. The wedding ring itself. When, when somebody puts a wedding ring on, it doesn't make them married. A single person could put a wedding ring on, and it then doesn't necessarily mean they suddenly become a married person. Right, they're just a single person wearing a wedding ring. Right, or a married person could take off their ring. It doesn't make them not married. What, what it is is simply a symbol of something that has already taken place. So baptism is extremely symbolic. It talks about this in Romans chapter 6. It says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead to the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. What is this passage talking about? Paul is telling the Romans that physical water baptism is symbolizes the mm. death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, but it also symbolizes the death of our old life and the beginning of our new life. This is one of my favorite things to share with new believers because when you are just beginning your new life in Christ, this is a concept that you may not have even understood happened at salvation. And as we explain what it pictures, and I walk them through what baptism is and, and how it shows that you're not who you were anymore. The old person, the old you, the carnal you, the fleshly you, it's, it's done. It's over. And if you realize that you are living your eternal life even right now, that spiritual life has begun within you. Right. That's a powerful principle that you don't have to sin. You can be a victor. I love that. Uh, so yeah. what does that mean? It means why should I be, we be baptized? Out of obedience. Mm-hmm. We bapt- we're baptized for, symboli- for symbolic reasons. And then lastly. Identification. Yeah, to what be does identified that mean? with Christ. It means that just as Christ was baptized and gave us that example, we follow him in that same way to show that we are his. So we're identifying with Christ after his baptism, his death, burial, and resurrection. And we're also identifying with other Christians throughout history. And, and this is an amazing thing to me. Every time we perform baptisms at our church once a month, we'll always have about 10 or 12 people being baptized. And we, I always love to share with them in the last moment, this is a beautiful ritual that goes back 2,000 years through tens of millions of Christians throughout history, all performing the same ritual, all mm-hmm. connecting us together, all identifying ourselves to one another. But there's all sorts of baptisms in Christendom, right? And all sorts of kinds of baptisms and, and beliefs about baptism. Um, but there are three essential elements that make a baptism a biblical baptism. Yeah, so maybe you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I was baptized. Some of us have been baptized multiple times. And uh, you might be thinking about that and saying, you know, was I baptized biblically? Right, so what are those three essential elements? Here they are. Timing, authority, and mode. Okay. Let's so, talk about that. What do yeah. you mean timing? Timing, anytime we look to the scripture— and we see when people are baptized, it is always, always, always only after they have understood the gospel and received it for themselves. Never before. This is exactly right. As soon as you can after being saved, the goal is to be baptized, and this is what you want to do. You have to learn about salvation. Once you're born again, baptism is mm-hmm. the next step. It reminds me of the story of uh, the Philippian jailer who the very night he got saved, the Bible says, that night he was baptized. And even his family heard the gospel, and they too were baptized. So when it comes to important elements of baptism, timing is essential. 
always but after salvation. What do you do, Josh, if you were baptized before salvation and then you understand the gospel and you get saved? If you were baptized prior to salvation mm-hmm. and then you trust Christ as Savior, well, according to the scripture, it's important to be rebaptized because the timing element is essential, which leads us mm-hmm. to the second element that is essential in baptism, and that is authority. Asking the question, who has the authority to baptize? And the first authority we see in scripture are the apostles. Yeah, it was Christ authorized them, gave them the, the power and the, the um, direction to go and baptize. And so if you weren't baptized by Peter or James... You need to go find an apostle. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. They gone. They're all gone. (laughs) So wait a second. If the apostles can't baptize because they're dead, then who today has the authority to baptize? We would say those that are teaching and following the apostles' doctrine. Right. So finding a church that teaches apostolic doctrine, this individual has the opportunity, or this church, Mm -hmm. not individual, has the right to baptize. Acts Mm -hmm. chapter 2 and verse 41 says, And they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread and in prayer. So these are the important elements of baptism. what is the apostles' doctrine? What that is is that you are saved only through faith, not by works, through Christ's death and resurrection alone. Right. And that is their doctrine. So if you went to a church, and this is a big clue, and they, when they baptized you, they said something like, the waters of baptism wash away your sins. All right. This is not apostolic doctrine. They're not following that doctrine. Which they means have no, authority to no authority to baptize. Yeah, so get rebaptized. All right. So important elements of baptism would be timing, authority, and then lastly, mode. Does it matter how I'm baptized? It sure does. Okay, In fact, talk the to word itself... That. For, that baptism comes from it comes from a greek word baptizo say it with me baptizo. baptizo the word actually means to place into or to dunk under so just like you might like to dunk your oreo cookies or whatever you're completely placing I, them into the milk i'm a dunker you're a dunker i'm not i'm also not a partial dunker i don't dunk them partially i am a completely. baptist yeah. oreo nut i they got to go all the way under for it to be officially dunked. So the next time you dunk your cookies, you can look around and say, I am baptizoing. I baptize, I baptizo <laughs> you cookie. in the name of milk and Oreo. No, that's just heresy. I feel like no. I'm being a little disrespectful. No, so by immersion. Is, yeah, that's what baptism is. In fact, all throughout scripture, you'll see that they go down into and come up out of the water. There's no account in the scripture of sprinkling. In fact, Sprinkling has some pretty ugly roots in where it comes from. Well, this is interesting, right? Now we're going into these concept of false teachings about baptism, and some of those false teachings are sprinkling for salvation. Now, why? Why did they sprinkle for sal- Why do they sprinkle for baptism? Well, historically, sometimes you'll go back and you'll find out during the Holy Roman Empire um, and during the conquering of Christian nations over quote-unquote non-Christian nations. Now, when I say that, I use the term loosely. These are not true born-again believers. They were societies that claimed the name of Christ. They would try to conquer the village, and they would literally walk through with buckets of water. Because they needed to be a holy empire. And they they would pray over this water, thus making it holy water. And then they would sprinkle the town and the town Soldiers folks. would make the people come stand out there. And sprinkle and yeah. them as they went by and say, you are now uh, baptized in the name of Jesus, thus their souls are saved. Well, we know that this is utter ridiculous. But we don't know that sprinkling as a mode for baptism actually is a holdover to this, um, this uh, conquering anomaly. Mm. Yeah. But that's not the only false teaching about baptism. There are other false teachings about baptism like? Well, one of the main ones that we hear most often is that baptism is essential for salvation. Yeah. yeah. Which it absolutely is not. In fact, uh, there's a great example 
um, before we get into the doctrine of it, there's a great example in the scripture, a story of someone who, in fact, several someones, but one in particular that I'm thinking of, I think you know who it is, who was saved, promised heaven for eternity, and never got baptized. Right. Jesus looks over to the man hanging on the cross right beside him and says, today you will be with me in no, paradise. No, I thought he looked over and said, well, okay, you got to go get baptized. <laughs> yeah. If that's what he did, then uh, then the guy would have had to jump off the cross, run yeah. over to a pool, get baptized by one of the yeah. apostles, and uh, no, that's not what happened at all. Jesus said, yes, your faith in me is what's required. Right. I've and- paid the price. And that's what Ephesians says. It says it's by grace that we're saved. It's a gift. It's not works. And when we say, no, you got to be baptized, you got to add something to it, then you're adding works to your salvation. This is the problem with what we call baptismal regeneration. People who believe they are saved through their baptism. Salvation is not obtained through you getting baptized. Salvation is obtained because you, by God's grace, he chose you, and you put your faith in that. This is what Titus chapter 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which you have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. So these are false teachings about baptism, but there's one other we didn't mention, and that is infant baptism. Mm. You alluded to it a moment ago, but this is one of the most prominent ones that have been taught in a lot of um, what we would call religious backgrounds that yeah. teach, you know, take your child and baptize them because if, if, uh, if you do, then they'll be Christian. Well, what does the Bible say? The Bible never once mentions any child, uh, any any baby, infant, ever being baptized. So at our church, Southern Hills, and most good Baptist churches, we wait until children are old enough to personally believe and understand the true meaning of salvation and baptism before we baptize them. Yeah, that's very important. Um, scripturally, and it's very important to us as a church family. It's very important to us as parents. But yeah, uh, children, we never see that in Scripture that children are baptized. Um, and that's a, a problem for a lot of people. Some come from a background, a religious background, where they practice um, baptism for salvation. And they say, parent, grandparents will come and say, but what if the baby dies? You need to make sure they're baptized. Well, what does happen to a baby when they die? Now, if they're baptized, that doesn't save a baby because it doesn't save anybody. It's not in Scripture. But what we teach our people is what the Bible says is that a child who has not been able to accept or reject Christ because they've not had that mental ability, or even an adult with a handicap who's never had that opportunity, they are covered. They would be under what we theologians call the age of accountability. They have not had that opportunity. And as my sweet mother-in-law says, they are not saved, but they are safe in the arms of God. And we have another great story from Scripture that gives us an example of this. When David, King David, lost a child... He mourned and mourned while the child was sick. The moment the child passed, he got up and he cleaned up and the people in the palace, the servants were so confused. And when they asked David why he was okay, he said, you know, the child won't come to me, but one day I will go to him. He said, I know the man after God's own heart said this. If you've lost a baby, you've lost a child. You need to hear this. David said, I know where my child is. Uh. It's in the presence of God and I'll see him again one day. Um, That is our loving God, our just God, who does not send someone to hell who has not had the opportunity to receive him or reject him. Now, some people are baptized as children. They baptize children not because they believe it saves them. It's called covenantal baptism. Right, and for these individuals, they simply believe that this is the entrance into what they call Christendom or the family of God. We want them to follow God. We want them to follow God, and then when they're old enough. dedicating them. 
yeah, when they're old enough, we'll allow them to go through a catechism or a special teaching of discipleship that will bring them to a point of salvation. And it's more structured in some liturgical Christian backgrounds. It's not something we do at Southern Hills. It's not historically a Baptistic thing to do, but you'll find that in a lot of um, a lot of good Christian backgrounds yeah. um, that uh, that believe baptism is more covenantal mm-hmm. than it is sa- to take place after salvation. Now, maybe you were in a family that practiced that. If you were, don't let it disturb you. Just know that your family wanted you to follow God, and they were trying to help you do that in the best way they know how. Now, I don't recommend doing that as a parent. Well, I think you should go to your family if that happened and say, you are unbiblical. What did you do? (laughs) That's it. Exactly. (laughs) No, no. They were trying to help you follow God. They were trying to uh, dedicate you in their own way to God. Now, we would not do this because as a parent, I don't want there to be any confusion with my children. Um, They have an enemy who does not want them to follow God, doesn't want them to know him. And I don't want there to be a moment in their life where they are under conviction to be saved and, you know, all of a sudden they think, you know what, I, I saw those pictures of my baptism and I've been in church and I'm fine and they brush it off. I don't want there to be any confusion. Yeah. So we don't do that. Instead, what we do is we say baptism for those who are saved, as the Bible talks about. And w- instead we do baby parent dedication where we actually will go before others and make a commitment saying we're going to raise this child to n- the best of our ability to know God. Now, parent-baby dedication is a wonderful um, tradition that we have in our local church, but it's not one of the historic ordinances or rituals that Jesus gave the church, but there are two, baptism, and the other one is communion, or what uh, many refer to as the Lord's Supper. Now, this is what's fascinating about the Lord's Supper. Jesus never asked his disciples to remember his birth, but he did instruct them to remember his death and resurrection. And in doing so, he gives the church two visible ordinances, symbols, as reminders of his death, baptism and the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is an object lesson that represents a great spiritual truth. So if we're going to talk about this, let's talk about what the Lord's Supper is. What exactly is the Lord's Supper? It's three things. It's a reminder, it's a symbol, and it's a statement of faith. What do we mean it's a reminder, Heather? Well, it reminds us of the Lord's death. In fact, that's what he said when he broke the bread. He said, when you do this, remember that my body was broken for you. It's a picture of the brokenness I suffered for your sake. Right. You're refer- referring to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And in the very next verse, in verses 24 and following, he said, not only is this a symbol of my broken body, remember this. He then goes on and he explains, this is my body which was broken for you. This eat in remembrance of me. This cup is, a, is the New Testament of my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. It symbolically reminds us of the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord. This is what Jesus wants. He wants his followers for thousands of years to not forget the essence and essential nature of how we were saved. He's constantly pointing back to the violent nature of the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. And he wants us to remember his bro- bo- broken body. He wants us to remember his blo- shed blood. And he does it through symbolic evidence of broken crackers or bread and and shed blood through the through the cup. It's not only a reminder, it's a symbol, but lastly, the Lord's Supper is a statement of faith. According to verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11, it says as for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you're showing the Lord's death till he come, which means you're demonstrating your faith in Jesus Christ by partaking. So, and that leads us to the question of who should and who can partake 
Okay, so who do you, who do you think can? Now, this is highly debated, especially in Baptist circles. This person can, this person can't. And it's not just Baptist circles. There are all sorts of uh, Christian denominations that attempt to what we call excommunicate or leave somebody outside of the sacrament, they'll call it, or the ordinance. But we believe the Bible's relatively simple. Our perspective is the Bible's relatively simple on who should not partake of communion. And who would those people be, Heather? Those that have not trusted Christ as their Savior. Right. So only believers mm-hmm. should partake of the of communion. And we see this found in every one of the Gospels, and we see this definitely found in the go- in 1 Corinthians. There's a second group as well, and I would say if you are harboring not sin, what is it? Knowledge, not knowledgeable sin. What is the word I'm looking for? Uh, unrepentant sin. Unrepentant. Thank you. Yeah. So you're aware, we're all sinners, but you're aware that there's an, an area that you are saying no to God in. Yeah. No, I'm going to keep doing this, and you are living in open rebellion to Him. Then, don't partake of the Lord's Supper. Yeah, the Bible tells us in in verse 27 of First Corinthians 11 uh, that whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And so, this is spoken to a Christian church. There are definitely people that should not partake. If you're not a believer, this is for believers. But if you're someone who, un, in an unrepentant, um, cold-hearted a fist in the face of God attitude says, I don't care what God said. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Well, the Bible says there's a curse that comes along with that. And so you need to prepare yourself for the Lord's Supper. We say you prepare yourself in several ways. There's a self-examination that takes place. That's what Paul says to the Corinthians. But let a man examine himself. So let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. He doesn't say don't eat. By the way, I've seen Christians throughout history, um, throughout my personal history, they'll say, oh, no, pass the plate. I don't want to be judged. No, he's not saying you're still going to be judged. (laughs) If you're a child of God and you're living in sin, you're still going to be chastened. It's not um, don't partake because you might be judged. It's saying you're going to be judged. So confess the sin. Yes. Get right with God. Um, and by the way, that's exactly what it's supposed sin. to provo- provoke us to do when we are sitting there and honestly thinking back on what he suffered and why he suffered it. It should move our hearts to run to him in repentance. Precisely. That's the whole point of why we do this. Well, the, the self-examination is extremely serious. Let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For if he eateth and drinketh unworthily. The man or woman eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And then Paul says to the Corinthians, for this cause, some of you are sick and some are dead. I mean, like he says, some of you have been not focused upon the importance of this ritual Mm -hmm. and you've just been living the way you want. Then you come in and you partake and and you're like, whatever, I don't care about the blood of Jesus. And man, God says he will he will judge that. Mm -hmm. And so there's a seriousness about this self-examination. A lot of times people, though, then ask how often should we partake of the Lord's mm-hmm. Supper? Yeah, and we addressed this at the beginning. Yeah. It's the idea of often enough to remember. Yeah. But it's not specified. Um, we would say don't, we wouldn't do it so often that it becomes, you know, ritualistic. ritualistic. Yeah. To the point where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, take the bread, take the cup and go. Now, again, this is absolutely a preferential matter. You might have a church that every Sunday partakes, and you mm-hmm. would be biblical in doing so. Yeah. Um, and you might be a church that, does it once or twice a year, and you would be biblical for doing so. At our church, we like to do about once every two months. That gives mm-hmm. it enough frequency uh, to to uh, to allow us to remember, but not so often that it becomes meaningless. So these are the two ordinances um, of the church. So I have a question. Go ahead. Okay, so we're talking about ordinances are given to the church. Yes. 
So can an individual practice baptism or the Lord's Supper without the, the church? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, as a Baptist, would say absolutely not. And even more so as a Biblicist, I would say no. Um, there is a clear ecclesiology that needs to take place. What I mean is an establishment of a church. Now, I don't have time to go through all the markers of what a church is, mm -hmm. but a church has, as we said in a few episodes ago, it has pastors. A church has deacons. A church has an established belief system. A church has church discipline. A church is following the apostles' doctrine. A church is meeting on a regular basis. There are all sorts of marks of what an actual church is. And so some guy who says, well, I'm a part of the church of God. I can go out and baptize anybody I want and give communion. No, you are not under the authority of a local congregation of believers that has established elders for the purpose of ministry. And in that case, no, we don't have that authority. And it's not just you that don't have that authority, I would say, to any random you listening. I don't have that authority. Heather doesn't have that authority. Only a part of a church, because the local church has that authority. So when you baptize, for example, you're baptizing as a representative of Southern Hills Baptist Church. Right. It's not Josh Tice baptizing these people. Mm -hmm. It's Southern Hills baptizing these people. This is why I'm not the only person who baptizes at Southern Hills. There are multitudes of people who can baptize, and random people who we've brought, as long as they're a walk with God and they're a member of the church, they mm -hmm. have the right to baptize because it's not me, but it's the church that is right. baptizing. Good. Well, hope this was an interesting session for you. Yeah, if you enjoyed this episode, this is what we'd love you to do. We want you to share this episode with others. We want you to rate and review the podcast in iTunes and let others know about this. Now, this episode was kind of our first back for a while. I mean, episode 62, very exciting. Next week or next episode, we're going to be talking about kids in the Bible children in the Bible. That's kind of an interesting episode. What that's, what's that going to be about? Oh, we're just talking about the younglings. The younglings. Yes. Ah, like Star Wars. The little Wars. ones. Ah, very yeah. cool. Yeah, so we're, we're going to talk about, um, of course, characters that we know part of their story from their, their childhood or youth. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Yeah. Hey, again, we know you don't have a lot of time, so we're going to let you go. And we want to thank you for listening. And remember, when the Bible talks, we'd better listen. <laughs>